Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ, welcoming you and thanking you for joining us as we open God's Word. The lesson that you're about to hear is the second in a series on Acts chapter 8 and Simon the Sorcerer, that surprising convert. If you haven't heard the first lesson, go to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. You can find it there and you can download it both in outline and audio format. Please open your Bible now to Acts chapter 8. And let's see what we can learn from Simon the Sorcerer. In Acts chapter 8, I believe we meet one of the most shocking of all the conversions that takes place in the entire Bible. Simon the Sorcerer. Here was a man that had his own following, that had convinced folks that he was the great power of God and people were paying attention to him. And then in Acts chapter 8, Philip comes down after the scattering of the disciples from Jerusalem, Philip comes into Samaria and starts to preach. And the folks in Samaria are convinced by the amazing power that Philip displayed that indeed Philip had the great power of God and Simon didn't. The people started to listen to Simon, or excuse me, to Philip as we read this morning in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and following. And a great number of them believed, but they weren't alone. Simon, instead of setting up camp and trying to fight against the gospel, he also believed, and according to verse 13, was baptized along with all the others. He became a child of God along with the rest of the Samaritans. And what an amazing story it was. But, he had a little struggle. He continued having issues with the desire to impress folks. And he tried to pay the apostles, we read this morning, for the gift of being able to pass on the miraculous gifts. And we read at the end of all of this in verse 20 that Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. This morning, as we took a look at this text, we learned four lessons. First, we recognize that many of the modern Pentecostal proofs are nothing new. The tricks, talk, and testimony that they use are the same thing that Simon had been using. And yet, the real power of God outshines the trickery and the fakery, as we see happening here with Simon the sorcerer, as Philip outshines him. We also learned that it is possible for a Christian to become lost. And so it's not enough to simply say that we became a child of God and now we can do anything and everything we want, but rather we must grow in Christ. And in fact, that led us to our final point, that we do need to realize that baptism does not produce perfect, mature Christians. It produces babes in Christ that must now grow. And we recognize the balance, that we're not going to come out of the watery grave of baptism perfect, and yet at the same time we don't use that as an excuse to allow us to continue to do whatever kind of sinning that we want to do, but rather we must grow in Christ. Tonight we want to take a look at some more lessons. These lessons, I think, kind of revolve around issues of error that are taught in our world today. Tonight we want to take a look at a couple of lessons that deal more with how we should live as Christians and how we should conduct our work as Christians as we're serving the Lord. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are humbled before you. We are amazed that you have loved us. We are so sinful. How easy it is for us to look in judgment upon Simon for all that he did, and yet we recognize a number of times that we fall short of your glory and how much we need your grace, and we're thankful that you have provided it through your Son. 
We pray that You would help us to grow. Help us to look to the future and to become more and more like Your Son as we submit to Your Word, applying it to our lives and being committed to serving You. Father, we love You and we're thankful that You have loved us. And we pray that that we would continue to demonstrate Your love to our brethren here and to the community around us. Of course, we pray especially again for the the family of Janie Smith. And we pray that they will be comforted at this time. And Father, we're so thankful that Your Son died so that when our brothers and sisters in Christ pass from this life, that we are not without hope and they are not without hope. And that while we're saddened because we miss them, we rejoice that they get to be with You. And Father, we're thankful for that forgiveness. And we pray that all of us will continue to look to that and be prepared for that moment. Father, we praise Your name for Your grace and Your mercy. And we pray that You help us tonight to open our hearts to Your Word, to understand what You have revealed for us through the story of Peter and Simon the Sorcerer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The very first thing that I would like for us to notice tonight as we continue to look on is that we must never prejudge who will become a Christian. Who would have thought that this guy, Simon the Sorcerer, when Philip came into Samaria and he started his short list of the folks that he wanted to hone in on and start working and make sure that he hit on them when he was going to conduct his Bible studies, who would have thought Simon the Sorcerer ought to be on that list? Clearly, he's the leader of the main competition in town. Well, we aren't going to go to him. He's never going to change. He's, he's got a following. He's, he's got power. He's got influence. His whole life is wrapped up in all this that's going on. He won't ever become a child of God. And yet, that's exactly what happened. He heard the Gospel. He saw the power of God demonstrated by Philip. And just as everyone else, he submitted to Jesus Christ. There in Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, it says, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. He didn't set up a competition. He didn't dig in and start trying to cause problems for Philip and then for the apostles as they came into town. He submitted and became one of them. How amazing is that? And how many others that we look at throughout the New Testament are just as amazing? Consider the Apostle Paul, the priest persecutor, the one who had received documents from the high priest to go out and start persecuting people. Would he be one that we would say, that's a guy we need to make sure to talk about the Gospel to? What about the brethren that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at about verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at about verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul wrote? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he says in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Here are people that we wouldn't put on our short list of folks to go talk to. Oh, you know, oh, there's this fellow at work or there's this girl at work. I really want to talk to them. But you know, uh, they're living in adultery. He's living with the woman. She's living with Oh, they're such a drunk. Oh, well, they're already really devoted to something. How many folks do we say we're not going to talk to them and we prejudge? And so they never hear the Gospel from us. And yet here's Simon the Sorcerer that stands out as an example for us that we just can't prejudge. 
Our job is not to decide who to teach. Our job is to teach. And let that person decide between them and God whether or not they are going to obey. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. The Bible there says, excuse me, verse 15. And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone in creation that you think will obey. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We're going to leave it between them and God whether or not they're going to obey. If I might just hop up on, on a little soapbox here on this issue, I think sometimes I've heard folks, as they talk about, well, I studied with somebody and we studied for 25 weeks and they never obeyed. And then we might say to them, oh, well, better luck next time. Well, what better luck could they have? They taught 25 lessons, or they taught five lessons, or they sat down with them for an hour. They did their job. It's now between God and that individual whether or not they're going to obey. And so we need to start having that language as we talk to folks that, that we have succeeded not because somebody got baptized, but we have succeeded because we taught the Word. We've done our job. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul talked about he and Apollos. He said, I planted Apollos water. That's our job. We have succeeded. Not when people are baptized. We have succeeded when we have taught the Word. And you have succeeded. Not just because somebody got baptized because of the work that you did. You have succeeded when you have taught someone. If they're baptized, God gave the increase. And we need to give Him the credit for that. And the honor and glory. So, as we consider this, we need to learn from Simon the Sorcerer that we must not prejudge who will become a Christian as we think about who we're going to teach, but rather try to scatter that seed everywhere. The second thing that we need to learn is that when we become Christians, we, we need to check our baggage at the baptistry. Don't bring your baggage in. Gareth Reeves, in his New Testament history, the commentary on Acts, he says this, The idea that such knowledge could be purchased also would have come from his background in the occult. It was the custom of the time for novice enchanters to purchase the secrets of magic from previous masters in the magic arts. In other words, it had been a part of what Simon had been involved in, that if somebody came in and had abilities that he didn't have, he would offer them, here, I'm going to pay you so much money so that you can teach me how to do this. And that was just common for their practice. And so now, Philip has come in with all these powers. And the apostles come in and he begins to realize, hey, when Peter and John lay their hands on people, those, those miraculous gifts get passed out. I'd like to be able to do that too. What does he do? Well, he just relies on what had been his modus operandi before he was a Christian. Well, I'll buy it. I'll pay them money. And they'll be able to teach me how to do this as well. What happened here? Simon had become a Christian. But he had brought his baggage from his time in the world into Christianity. And as he considered how Christianity worked, he interpreted it and viewed it based on the baggage that he brought into it. And what we learn from Simon and how Peter deals with Simon with this, he says, you have no part or portion in this. He says, you don't know what you're doing here. This is, this, it's not like that. You're not allowed to do this. This is not your role. And so put your money away. And basically the idea was, this, you're Christian now. Everything's different. This is not like what you were doing before, Simon. 
And we need to remember that as we become Christians. And as we continue on as Christians, that we've got to lay our baggage aside. I think about Acts chapter 15. Just a few chapters from where we are in this lesson. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have been teaching Gentiles. And as this message was reported to the brethren in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 3, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. What were these Pharisees doing? They were bringing their baggage into Christianity. As Jews, they had said, if you want to be a faithful child of God, you've got to be circumcised. And now that they had become Christians, they were bringing that into Christianity as well. In chapter 15 and verse 29, after they had debated this, and after they had recognized what the Spirit revealed and said, no, we're not going to do that to the Gentiles, they did warn the Gentiles, though, not to bring their baggage in. In verse 29, they said, this is what the Holy Spirit has laid upon you. Said that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. It is my understanding that they weren't trying to say, here are the four major things that all Christians are supposed to do. These things were all bound up and tied up with idolatry. The things that were sacrificed to idols, things that had been strangled and the blood that was drunk throughout a lot of the idolatrous practices and the temple prostitutes and the fornication. They were saying, don't bring your paganism into Christianity. You're Christians now. Get rid of the baggage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I'll dwell in them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I'll be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What is God saying here through Paul? He's pointing out that we've got to get rid of our baggage. When we come into Christ, we're separating ourselves from the world and from the things of the world and from those lives that we lived beforehand. And it's now different. Now, having said all that, let me point out that I realize we've all got baggage. I realize that we all have preconceived notions and ideas. It's not wrong to have preconceived ideas and notions because we just all do. Let's face it. We were all taught something as children as we went. I'm doing it to my kids. I'm teaching my kids because I want them to have some preconceived notions, but I hope that as they grow old, I also teach them to be able to judge what the Bible says. We've got to be able and willing to say, here's what I believe. I know this is what I believe as I come to the biblical text, but now I have to lay it alongside the Bible and see if that's really what it says. And if we find that the baggage, the preconceived ideas, the notions that we had coming in to Christianity, if we find that they're not what the Bible supports, then no matter what they are, we need to be willing to get rid of them. We need to check our baggage at the baptistry and just learn the will of God through His Word. 
We learn from Simon the Sorcerer that we shouldn't prejudge we'll become a Christian. We need to check our baggage at the baptistry. The third thing tonight that we learn is that the Christian overcomes sin by repentance and seeking forgiveness. I don't know how many times when I've talked with folks about what it takes to become a Christian and I show them Acts 2.38 that says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I show them Mark 16.16, 16, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And I show them Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, where it says that we are buried into Christ, buried into His death. And Colossians 2.12, that we're buried with Christ in baptism. And 1 Peter 3.21, that baptism doth also now save us. And inevitably in those studies, one of the objections that will be raised by folks that, that do not want to believe that is, well, okay, so now that you become a Christian, you sin again, you've got to get baptized again? Does the Christian who sins, do they have to be baptized every time they sin so that they be forgiven? If you're saying that it takes baptism to be forgiven, is that what the Christian has to do every time they sin? Well, here we have a great case, an example. What did Simon do along with everybody else in Samaria? Verse 12 and 13, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. They believed they were baptized. They did exactly what had been taught in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. This is what they did. But now here's Simon, and he sins afterwards. So what does Peter say to him in verse 22? Therefore, be baptized again for this wickedness of yours. It's not what it says. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, excuse me, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What does God want? God wants everybody to come to repentance. He wanted Simon to come to repentance. That issue of if possible is not about whether or not God would be willing to forgive Simon if he repented. The if possible was, would Simon really repent? Would Simon step out of that gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity and repent and turn to God and pray for forgiveness? But the point that we need to see tonight is what was Simon told to do? Repent and pray for forgiveness. And as children of God, when we sin, that's where we need to be. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 provides us a great promise. In 1 John chapter 1, Beginning at verse 8, it says in 1 John 1, 8, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this doesn't give us permission to go off and sin all the time as long as we keep prayed up. But what it does say is if in our day-to-day struggle, if we're striving to grow in Christ, if we fall prey to sin, that we have an advocate with the Father and we can turn to God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can confess our sins, seeking forgiveness, and we will be forgiven. But we must repent. Repentance is a change of thought that leads to a change of action. We see what we've done. And we did it because what we thought about, oh, it'll be fun, it'll be great, it, you know, it won't be so bad. 
But as we've considered what we did, our thoughts are changed about that. It's against God's will. It was awful. It was abominable. It was despicable. And then we change the action. This is going to come about because of the sorrow that we have over the sins that we committed. And yet we need to realize that the sorrow itself is not the repentance. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning... Let's begin at verse 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, Paul said, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. We need to recognize the difference between the sorrow. We especially need to recognize the difference between the sorrow that I got caught and the sorrow that I did wrong. But we also need to recognize the difference between the sorrow that I have done wrong and the repentance, the change of action that is going to be produced because of that sorrow. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, as John the Baptist was preaching, and he talked about repentance, he said this to those who heard him in Matthew 3 and verse 8, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not repentance if we just continue on. And I'm not just talking about struggling. I'm not talking about we've developed habits and we're having struggling out. I'm just talking about the idea of, oh, I just, hey, it doesn't matter. I received the grace of Jesus and, and I'm just going to do what I want. Bear fruits of repentance. Show that you're striving to change, submitting to God's Word based upon the sorrow. But God has promised that if we do that, if we repent, if we seek forgiveness, we have an advocate with the Father that we didn't have before we were baptized. But now that we have become baptized believers, children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ as He washed our sins away when we submitted in baptism, now we have an advocate with the Father. And when we fall, we can turn to Him, confessing our sins, seeking forgiveness and mercy, repenting, turning away from them, and He will forgive us. And isn't that a great promise? you agree that that's a great promise? Absolutely. The final thing that we want to notice about Simon, and I have no doubt that there are probably other lessons that, that in your study you found here, but the final one that we're going to be noticing tonight is that the straightforward approach to sin is best. We live in a society of tolerance. We live in a society of fear. We're afraid to call a spade a spade. And we're afraid to call sin, sin. And so often what we want to do is try to come in the back door and, and hopefully we can just kind of cajole somebody into doing what is right. And yet, when Simon committed sin, Peter didn't beat around the bush. Peter didn't try to just give him little love pats. And guys, I just want you to think about this. And I recognize, of course, all of this has to be done with wisdom. And I'm not saying get rid of diplomacy and tact, but guys, Simon was a babe in Christ. Simon was an infant. And yet when Peter saw what he was doing, he didn't just back off and say, oh, you know, it's well, it's no big deal. He, he, oh, I tell you, he wasn't brought up in the church. Brethren, I don't know how many times I've heard that said when people did something wrong and instead of going and talking to them, we say, oh, well, they weren't brought up in the church. They don't understand. We'll try to, maybe we'll talk to the preacher about preaching on that so they can learn sometime. Or we'll go to the elders and talk to them about it. 
But Peter didn't back up and try to take any backdoor approach. Peter looked at Simon and said, this is a sin. Notice what he did. If you look there in Acts chapter 8, three things that he did here. Let's just read it again. In verse 20, he said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion of this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. The first thing I want you to notice is verse 21. You have no part or portion of this matter, for your heart is not right with God. He just told him the truth. He said, you don't have a part or portion in this. This is not your role. You can't pay for this. Your heart is not right. The second thing I want you to notice is that he told Simon exactly where his soul was because of his sin. In verse 23, he said, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And the third thing, he told him what to do about it. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. And what did Simon do? He repented. Now, of course, I understand that the straightforward approach won't always produce repentance. Because there are some people that are in bondage to iniquity and in the gall of bitterness. And as Peter said, if possible, God will forgive them. But what makes it possible? They have to repent. And some people won't repent. Some people would rather be enslaved to bondage of sin instead of having their sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are some people that will live in deception, deceiving themselves that because they go to church or because they give or because they do this or that, that everything's all right. And we just have to live with that, understanding that that's the way some people are going to act. But when folks are sinning, we need to go to them. And we need to let them know the truth of the matter, let them know what it's doing to their soul, and let them know what they need to do to overcome. And we need to be straightforward about it. I'll tell you what. People don't overcome sin when they don't get talked to about their sins. Growth in Christ doesn't happen by osmosis. They don't get it just because they show up and they worship with us and they assemble with us for a while and suddenly now they know everything about how they're supposed to live. It doesn't work that way. Our job is to stimulate and provoke one another to love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. That's our responsibility with one another. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the elder's job. It's the Christian's job. And the straightforward approach is the approach that they took in Scripture And if we want strong Christians, it's the approach we need to take. Oh, it's going to scare some people off. Well, if they're in the bondage of iniquity and in the gall of bitterness, it's not helping them to be here. And it's not helping us. But the folks that will be brought in by the teaching of Christ and the straightforward approach of sin, they'll be strengthened. And they'll grow. And that's what we want. People to be committed to the Word. Committed to serving God. And so let's not get caught up in where our society is, thinking that we need to be scared to talk to folks about sin. That doesn't mean we come at them judging them. It doesn't mean we come at them with, oh, if you were just more like me. It just means that we let folks know, here's the issue. And it's going to hinder your soul from being saved. So what do we learn from Simon? We learn that we shouldn't prejudge who will become a Christian. Don't bring in your baggage. Check it at the baptistry. 
We as Christians overcome sin by repentance and seeking forgiveness and the straightforward approach to sin is the best. Well, a lot of things that we can learn from Simon the sorcerer and what happened with him and his conversion and his life as a Christian. You know, the reality is, Simon's just a lot like us, isn't he? Here's a guy that believed the Gospel, he obeyed the Gospel, and he became a child of God, but he struggled with sin. And that's exactly where we are. And we need to do what he did when we fall. Turn to the Lord for forgiveness. Repenting. Asking others to pray for us, just like Simon did. There are all kinds of traditions that have arisen around Simon the sorcerer. Now, I don't know if some of the historical traditions about what he went on to do after this are true or not. We don't know. But I just see what the Bible says. He became a child of God. He fell. And Peter approached him about his sin, and he repented. Asking Peter even to pray for him. And we need to follow in that example where it applies to us. I certainly hope this look at Simon the Sorcerer was beneficial to you. Again, remember, this was the second in a two-part series. If you haven't heard that first lesson yet, go to our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com, and download that lesson. You can get it both in outline and audio format. Additionally, we have numerous other lessons at that website that you're free to download and use in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God. If you have any questions about Simon the Sorcerer, about Simon Peter, about Jesus, about his word, or about anything else within the Bible, please give us a call. Let's talk about those things. You can reach us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through the website I mentioned earlier, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.